0: Natural Resources Canada is meeting with leaders from Canada's insurance and real estate industries. They're all coming together in Ottawa to try and get an update and maybe you know, a little bit of movement on a promise that Ottawa made over two years ago now, the development of a home rating system that both home buyers and sellers could use to, you know, assess the climate risk associated with their property. We'll explain to you how it works and it makes good sense and it's happening in other places. Um, We were talking about mandate letters earlier this morning. This promise, as I say, was made in the mandate letter to Jonathan Wilkinson when he took over natural resources in 2021. um, The insurance industry is clamoring for this info, given what we saw this summer. They say there's a lot of focus um, on the future too, which is all well and good, but there's also the here and now we need to deal with, resilience doesn't get enough attention. It, It sort of rolled into this. It would be a really useful tool, I think, but it also might be extremely powerful. Let's find out. We're gonna have a chat with Catherine Backus, who is Director of Climate Finance and Science at Intac Center on Climate Adaptation at the University of Waterloo. Catherine, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. So the driving force behind this, uh, essentially, and, and you know, like if you're buying a piece of real estate, you might be thinking, well, what does it mean to me? Well, this sort of puts a bit of a framework around Cost of living in harm's way is gonna go up, right? That's what it comes down to, give you an idea of the risk that you're running and what that might mean to you.
1: Correct, so not only are the costs gonna go up for you, but potentially the value of your home could actually go down because of extreme weather risks, flooding and
0: wildfire. And when we talk about how the cost would go up, how? We're talking about insurance, obviously, right?
1: Correct. Insurance would be one of those key drivers in the marketplace. So right now we're looking at um, across the market in Canada, uh, on average, there are $2 billion a year in insurable losses due to extreme weather. And $2 billion a year is a very big, and that's on average. But if we look at that to even 10 years ago, we were only looking at $250 Two hundred and fifty to four hundred and fifty million dollars per year. So wow. we're really seeing an uptick in those losses. And when you actually plot those on a graph, it's curvilinear. So year over year, those those rates are increasing, or those values are increasing. And we have to remember that that's just insurable, uninsurable losses. So where there's an insurance gap, and insurance doesn't cover, that's actually three to t- three to four times that amount. Wow. So that's money coming
0: out of pockets of individuals, businesses, and government. Um, and then when you take a look at how this would work, what uh, an app, is that what we're talking about? Like how, how does this system work in other places and what would you like to see in Canada in terms of giving us some sort of climate risk assessment tool that we can use?
1: Of course. Well the best example would actually be called what's um what's called in the United States risk factor. And so basically it's just a website. You can go on to this website, you can put in your zip code, or what I would like to see obviously here in Canada, you'd be able to put in your postal code and it would be able to populate at at the home level or within the community level itself to give you a rating of what your risk factors are in regards to extreme weather risk. So whether that's flooding, uh wildfire or extreme heat, hail, wind. Of course, in Edmonton and Calgary, hail is a very big issue. So what are the key risks in your given area? But that's only one part of the equation, in my opinion. So telling me what my risk score is, say it's out of 10, and say your home is a 3 out of 10. Well, that's great, and your neighbor or your family down the way could be a 7 out of 10 for a different risk. Mm -hmm. Telling me that I have risk is only one part of the equation. Telling me what to do about it is the other part the equation. And we have resources available, very simple information of what homeowners and communities can do to reduce these risks.
0: Okay. Um, Starting with the risk and, and identifying the risks. you've done some work where, okay, the government's been slow to come up with the system. They promised it two years ago. We're still waiting. But, you know, real estate professionals, insurance professionals, people buying and selling homes, they can't be, right? And you're already starting to see where insurance prices have gone up and home prices have come down because of climate risk, correct?
1: Correct. So we did a across Canada study to determine the impact that flooding. So we only looked at one peril, but we looked at the impact flooding has on the Canadian residential housing market. So that was only detached, semi-detached, and row housing. That wasn't commercial real estate, condos, and things like that. But we wanted to understand what the impact was to the sold price of a house, the number of days on market to sell a house, the number of houses listed for sale, and then the impact to mortgage arrears and deferrals. And in short, we saw an eight point two percent reduction in the average sold price of a house across Canada, meaning not the value you put your home up for sale, it's what you actually sell your house for is uh, 8.2% less than a home not in a flooded community. We saw 44.3% less homes listed on the market in flooded communities, and when homes were listed on the market, they stayed there
0: approximately 20% longer. Wow. Okay, so people obviously making the choice. The other thing, okay now, if you've got a flooded community, it's probably in the news. You probably know what happened, but this is this is part of the problem, isn't it, Catherine? There's there's no like if you go to buy a home, if I go to buy a car, I can go and check the 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 VIN and find out that the car was in a crash. If I go to buy a home, I can't tell that six months ago the basement was full of water. Right there, there's no there's no mechanism for me to know that, correct?
1: Correct. So when I go to purchase a home on the MLS, the multiple listing service, there's nowhere on that multiple, that one page that tells you how many bathrooms or how many rooms and sizes of rooms. There's nowhere on that multiple listing service does it tell me that this home has experienced a flood or not. And even further to that, the current homeowner and the real estate agent do not need to disclose that information to me. And on top of that, I don't even know if the home has measures in place, such as a sump pump or backwater valve. These are instruments that get water out of the home. I don't know if the home has these. Um, So these are certain things that homeowners or prospective homeowners should be looking out for. So yes, you're completely correct. On the MLS, there's nowhere that indicates there has been a flood. And even further to that, homeowners, current homeowners and real estate agents don't need to tell me that there was a flood. A
0: flood. And as you said, if once we've got the information and we know, like you said, you know, maybe my house is a three and my neighbor down the way is a seven. Um, there are things that can be done to mitigate that. Uh, is it a big? Is it, how how do we move into that part of the equation? Because I think a lot of people would just turn their back on the seven. Oh,
1: of course. Well, and so the idea is. To maintain insurance premiums, to maintain uh, housing price values in the system, and by doing that, we need to deploy resources. You could be a seven risk factor, and yet you have measures put into place at your level of a home and at the level of the community that's going to reduce that risk in the system. And so at the level of the home, there's very simple measures, and our team at the InTech Center, we have done that research. And so we have 100-page reports that we don't expect anyone to read, but we actually have taken that information and distilled it down into one-page infographics. So at the level of the home, what are three easy steps that any homeowner can take for limited cost and time to reduce their risk of basement flooding? So things like cleaning out e or putting window well coverings over window wells or ensuring that there's a sump pump and backwater valve and then cleaning out that uh, backwater valve and checking that sump pump. There are very easy things to do around a home that can reduce the chances of having a flooded basement and those those resources are freely available and this isn't a commercial but check out the Intact Centre website, those infographics are freely available for anyone to use.
0: Catherine, I'm wondering how big of a risk is, I, I, I don't know why, like I'm Lived in my house for a long time. We've never had any sort of climate issues around it, thankfully. Knock on wood. But I'm just wondering, could this end up being? You know, some areas might become places where it's just people don't buy homes anymore. It becomes uninsurable. The costs are too high. People could it actually shape some of the way that cities are laid out and occupied? I mean, how big of an impact could this have if we start to assess things based on climate risk and insurance companies won't do it? And taxes could be. I mean, this could have a pretty profound impact. I'm thinking
1: of course and you're completely right and we're actually seeing that play out in the market already so currently 10 percent of the housing market in canada or approximately 1.5 million homes are currently uninsurable for flood risk meaning that the insurance companies have done their calculations and they have determined that the risk in that system is too high and they can no longer provide flood insurance now take the flip of that, that means that 90% of the housing market is still very much insurable, so overall Canada is still a very insurable country. Now for those 10% that are uninsurable, there's a few things there. One, they are still able to get home insurance. So to buy a house, to buy and sell a house in Canada, you need to be able to purchase insurance. So you can still get home insurance, you're just not covered for flood risk. The second part of that is that the federal government is currently working on a insurance plan for those homes that are unable right, to yeah. get home insurance. So there's a um, an insurance pool that they're working on, recognizing that these individuals still need home insurance. But also, if at this point the insurers are saying, listen, we're not going to cover you because the risk is too great in the system, well, we need to stop building in, in regions that there is greater risk. And the number one thing to do is not build on a floodplain. Mm-hmm. Remember, floodplains are meant to flood. They, they are meant to have water in them. But if we're building homes, then you're directing water towards these developments. So first things first, if we understand that we're pulling, insurance is pulling out of these regions, well, we actually shouldn't be putting more development there, yeah. and you even start having conversations of, well, should we be strategically getting people out of these regions by offering them pay, payouts for their homes, and just making sure we're getting people out of these regions as quickly as possible. Yeah. But of course, that's a bigger conversation,
0: and, and of course. Yeah, most definitely is, and, and if you're one of the people that has property in one of those areas, it's an entirely different conversation too, but interesting stuff. Catherine, thank you you so much for being here. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much for having me.